Hey there, hope you all have had a good week. Mine has been a busy but a good one in preparation for a week off. I look forward to catching up with you all on what's been going on behind the scenes of Brave Marriage, which I'll probably fill you in on in a month or so. We have a Q&A series coming up from the questions you all have sent in the summer, as well as a month where you'll hear from me and Evan, kind of like we did last summer. But today's episode is an interview that I did with Tanner Hobbs of The Chasing Freedom Show. Tanner is a health coach and Christ follower who helps women grow in faith and fitness through her online mentorship program. After attending the Courageous Conversations workshop last fall with her husband, she graciously invited me to talk with her more in depth about counseling, coaching, and healthy communication to help the women she serves. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation. Hello, sunshine. Welcome back to the Chasing Freedom Show. Whether you're brand spanking new here or you're an OG, I am so grateful you chose to listen to this episode today. This is a personal development podcast for the everyday gal desiring more freedom in her life. I started this podcast to simply stretch women and reveal what they're truly capable of. Health is my profession, but Jesus is my obsession. Now let's dive in. This is what freedom feels like. 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 I really want to sing that song tomorrow, tomorrow, but I won't because I actually have come down with some yucky cold right now. But seriously, tomorrow, Friday, December 13th, it's a big day. It's a big day in the Chasing Freedom world because my Freedom Method mentorship is officially open to the public. I know I've been talking about this thing for months, so I'm sure you're just as pumped. But the Freedom Method mentorship is my six-month high-level health coaching experience, and it's the only way to work with me in 2020. It's where your transformation will absolutely unfold. This mentorship helps the girl starving for freedom in her body and with food and gives her the tools, accountability, and support she needs to step into a new version of herself. I tackle things different in that we are seeking longevity and complete freedom from bondage. We work on establishing solid boundaries and healthy habits to help you feel your best, which will overflow into all areas of your life. One of my clients, Kelsey, who just finished the Freedom Method, said it best. She said, Tanner, you asked the best questions that really helped me uncover what drives me, helped me learn to set boundaries for myself, increased awareness about the way I talk to myself, and unhelpful beliefs I get stuck in. You helped me to see ways I can show up for others better, to see areas I need to step away from or step towards, to cleanse myself more fully, to live more like Jesus. You really helped me see how to really love and steward my body and my mind well and not to judge myself or my body, and that really is a daily practice. I have learned how to slow down, listen to my body more and what it needs, whether it's with exercise or food or seeing food as fuel. It's helped me to dream big and see my life as big as God does. She goes on to say, Tanner, it makes me teary-eyed to even talk about this. 
So that was pretty dang sweet. Coaching Kelsey was one of the biggest blessings in 2019, and I'm so excited to carry this over into 2020 for the women who are struggling with body image, struggling to see food as what it was truly created for, and also just be set free in a way that they don't have to worry anymore about their physical health because the the way that they live and what they choose they just have this immense amount of confidence and assurance that what they're doing actually is best and they're doing it for healthy reasons. And that is what I'm all about is simplifying that for women. So like I said, the Freedom Method Mentorship opens to the public for the spots that are still available and left after the waitlist gals tomorrow, December 13th. And basically, I'm just going to keep that open. We start on January 6th, but I'm just going to keep it open until these last spots fill up. So at this point, it's first come, first serve. If you're ready to take that leap, if you're ready to invest, and if you're ready to dive into six months of life together, we get super personal, we get super close, and it is one of the coolest experiences that I get to be a part of and you as well. You can head to the link in my show notes or to the link in my bio on Friday, December 13th to sign up, grab one of those spots, be a part of this six-month adventure together and truly transform your life in so many ways. And now to this conversation with Kinsey. Kinsey Dzinski is a rock star. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist and a certified professional coach. She's also the host of the Brave Marriage podcast. And this conversation with her was truly just so fruitful. I met her through a marriage counseling full day session thing that Derek and I did with her. And immediately after I ran up to her and was like, Kenzie, I have to get you on the podcast. Your intentionality with relationships and the tools that you give people to really use to build up their relationships, to make sure that their relationships are healthy, to prevent things from getting ugly in their relationships are just so impactful. And I got to share those with the people that listen to the Chasing Freedom show. So we popped on a podcast together and man, this conversation is so good. Let's just dive straight in. Alrighty guys, I have Kinsey on the podcast today and Kinsey, I'm so excited about this and I kind of want to give the listeners a backstory really fast of how this came to be. Um, Cause I think that'll be a really good intro into the podcast anyway. So Really quick, I, my husband and I just recently last month came to one of your Courageous Conversations marriage retreats. It was like a full day of just tackling how to have courageous conversations in your marriage. And it like <laughs> changed the dynamic of our marriage, but not just our marriage, our relationships and how to communicate in general with our friends, our family, everyone, honestly, and just how, what it looks like, the dynamic of a conversation can actually look like and how it can be fruitful. And I just, we just got so much out of it. And so I was like, right after that, I came to Kinsey that day and was like, can I get you on the podcast? Because Kinsey, I love to talk about marriage. I've only been married two years, but I love relationships. I love marriage. I think the temperature of like how we're doing in life is kind of based off how our relationships are. And so coming to that, Derek and I weren't like, we need counseling. We were just like, we need to make sure that we're like working on this marriage first because we've been working on our priorities in our marriage or lives in general. So that's why we came into that 
kind of like, hopefully we get something out of it that's good. But now we're just like meeting every Tuesday, having these courageous conversations. And it's been awesome. So I just want to uh, say thanks for coming on. You are so great. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. And I, I love it. Like, thank <laughs> you for that feedback. That makes me so excited. I'm like grinning from ear to ear hearing that you've carried that on and you meet every Tuesday and that it's been so impactful. Yeah. And I've known other couples that come into you and have gone through those workshops that you put on and how they either stay with you long-term because they see the preventative work that they can be doing or like how you teach such tangible steps, practical things too, where these couples, like we can talk about these things in our, when we get gather around, like just around a fire to grab a drink or whatever it may be. It's really cool how, what you teach can come into not just our marriages, but also like the relationships we have with other couples. I'm like, your work is like sticking in all of us. So that's so cool. Thank you for sharing that. And I mean, that's really my heart is this preventative work. Like you were talking about, like I would much rather couples come in at the start of their marriages and figure out, okay, what do we need to set us up well long-term? How do we have healthy relationships from the beginning and get what we need? So like you said, you know, it can kind of change the trajectory of where you guys are headed and you may not have even known that you needed it. Cause that's where me, my husband, Evan, were in the beginning. Um, we learned a lot of the things that I now teach four months into our marriage mm-hmm. and it completely shifted the trajectory and I think a lot of things went way more healthily than they would have had we not done that. So that's kind of where the heart and passion behind Courageous Conversations came from. That's awesome. So before we dive into what your actual work is and stuff, because we're going to talk a lot about this, but tell us just who you are, who Kenzie is. Let's learn a little bit more about you. Sure. Um, So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and a certified professional coach and I have a private practice in Lexington, Kentucky called Brave Marriage, Mm -hmm. where I do marriage therapy, couples coaching, and workshops. So the one that you and Derek attended. Um, I'm married to Evan. Like I mentioned, we've been married for seven years. We grew up together, so we have a long history. Um, Yeah, what else do you want to know? Yeah. Tell, tell me this career path. I'm just super interested how this career path came to be for you. And did you see yourself one ever going into being a therapist or counselor or like, did you know that you were so passionate about helping marriages until you started working on this stuff in your own marriage? Yeah, for sure. Um, as a teenager, I felt called into ministry of some sort. Mm-hmm. Wasn't quite sure what that was, but through middle school and high school, I had friends who would come to me with different things and had some people say, oh, you should be a counselor. Yeah. And I was like, okay, didn't really give it much thought. But then actually, I felt a really specific calling to marriage counseling when I was at a Beth Moore conference in high school. I had gone with my mom and she was preaching on the passage in Matthew. Uh, 937 where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he has compassion on the crowd Mm -hmm. and like the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his field. Mm -hmm. And for some reason in that moment, I just heard marriage counseling. And from that point on, I've pursued it ever since. So I read relationship books as a teenager 
I went to college and got a degree in psychology and then a master's in marriage and family counseling and pursued licensure. And the first time that I ever worked with a couple, so this is what, like seven years after feeling that initial call, okay. I called my husband on the way home and I was like, Evan, this is what I was made to do. Like it, oh, man. <laughs> I worked all this time up to it and then really loved it. So so yeah, I guess I've had a passion for a long time. And then another cool part of that story is, you know, my parents, I would learn in college, were in and out of marriage counseling for the first 10 years of my life. Mm-hmm. So I saw this drastic change in my parents and the way that they worked together. I saw this shift. Um, my dad became a Christian when I was 10 or 11. And so seeing the work that the Lord did in their marriage and seeing just the hope that they had and the redemption that can be had. And then realizing that marriage counseling was a part of their story. It was a really cool kind of full circle moment that I felt called to do what had helped them. So, so did you know that day when you were sitting at that Beth Moore conference, did you, were you able to piece all that together really quickly or was it over time as you were studying in seven years of work that you're like, this is all kind of making sense why I have this deep passion. Yeah, it was definitely an overtime thing because when I was sitting at that conference, I had no idea that my parents had been in counseling. Ah, wow. That is so neat. Yeah. I love this. I love it so much because my, my story is so different because a lot of times, especially in like the service industry, you hear like you went through a really hard time in your marriage, therefore, and you overcame and you were your own redemption story. Therefore you wanted to help others. But I love how you had it calling when you were in your teenage years. And it was just that whisper in your ear was so clear because I think, I think it's so cool. The dynamic of how we all get where we're going to go. Like for me, it's still like, am I hearing the whisper? And like, I don't know. I feel like I get a lot of women coming to me like, how am I supposed to know what the heck I'm supposed to do at such a young age? And it's just neat to see like some people do know and some people it just takes relentless pursuit. Like you just keep going after what you can in that moment with what resources you have and just let God continue to just work in and through you and he'll get you're on the path, right? It just may not be as clear to you as it is to Kinsey or something. So Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't have done anything differently. Do you know what I mean? I'm just very thankful that I had that call early on, but I know that that's not everyone's story, nor does it need to be, you know, I feel like the Lord does his work through all of our different stories and has us in different seasons and different positions and different seasons of, I don't know what's happening, (laughs) you know, various reasons just to teach us what we need and to make you know, how he wants to use us even more impactful. So, you know, I know that my husband, Evan, um, his story is more like some of the women that you're mentioning, yeah. like it took a longer amount of time, but in the meantime, you just have to keep taking action, keep trusting, yep. you know, not just waiting around for some voice to come down to you and, you know, yeah. cause you'll be waiting forever for that. Right. Right. But, continuing to walk faithfully and step into that. So, yeah, you, I'm actually, this is like kind of a funny question. Cause I'm curious, Evan, I saw at the workshop, how supportive Evan is of what you do. Um, and I, I just thought that was really inspiring, but 
when you all were talking about marriage and he knew you wanted to go into marriage counseling, was he like, Oh my gosh, I'm about to marry a marriage counselor. Like we're going to constantly be working on our marriage. You know, I, that might be a question for him. Okay. Uh, I think the answer is yes and no. Yeah. Um, you know, he, we've known each other our whole lives. And so he, I think has known uh, the heart that I had for that for a really long time. So it was no surprise to him by the time that we got married. Yeah. I do think, <laughs> okay, I'll share this one story. Um, <laughs> so this, I don't know if this is so much though about me being a marriage therapist. It probably is. Um, but also an Enneagram one. Mm-hmm. And so we try to take quarterly trips together. We try to get away quarterly just to have a reset and a refresh for our marriage. Great. Yeah. And I approach those weekends with, okay, great. We have all this time and we can spend quality time and I can bring up all the ways that we can make our marriage even better. Not even realizing that that was an issue. (laughs) So, you know, one time, probably like five years in, he was like, you know, sometimes we can just go away and we can just rest. don't always have to be working or improving something. And that was the first time it ever occurred to me. So, yeah. you know, I think he knew what he was getting um, yeah. when he proposed, but yeah, he's super supportive. And um, when people ask him that question, he's like, no, it's actually good because it does keep us accountable in a lot of ways. So, right. Right. That's awesome. So you started working one-on-one with couples. Is that how to, how this kind of um, transpired? You started working one-on-one with couples and then you worked into like these workshops and stuff where you were getting rooms of couples together. Yeah. Well, in my training, when I was in grad school, I worked under a woman named Mary Ortwein and she had a practice out of Frankfurt, Kentucky. Okay. And she trained me in something called relationship enhancement. Um, So therapy, education, and coaching. And her whole philosophy was that she worked with a lot of underprivileged um, couples and families and relationships and found a way to teach relationship skills as skills. Mm. So the idea that these things can be taught, you don't have to be educated, you don't have to be this, you know, you don't have to come from a good family background. These are skills that can be taught. And so from there, I had the opportunity to use, utilize some of those skills and to um, lead workshops at churches and in different community settings and found that it's a really good way. um, You know, working with couples is wonderful and it gives that that nuanced work and the subtlety that's needed Um, when couples are working on deep things or they want, you know, a kind of experience, Mm -hmm. but the group setting really provides feedback from other couples and it it just enhances the learning in a lot of ways because you, you know, that other couples are also benefiting and you can think um, about things in a different way. You might not have based on the feedback that another couple is giving. Yeah. So I love both. Yeah. That's what I noticed in that, in that day when we were able, cause you, you had this really great balance of getting us together and allowing people to have time to speak out loud and share. 
which it does. It gives you perspective because a lot of times the silly little stuff, like I know I'm someone that's like, no, I'm okay. I'm fine. I don't need to talk about it because I don't enjoy confrontation. And I feel like sometimes communication can feel confrontational to me. And so when I was, I almost felt like some of the little stuff is like, I feel like we're the only couple in the world that's dealing with this little stuff. And then when we you're in a room and everyone else is talking about it, I'm like, oh, we're actually like relatively normal. So that's yeah, yeah. awesome. And then you also gave us like a chance to step out, find our own space within the building and then work through some of that and then come back together. That was like the dynamic of that just showed me because I'm a huge, huge um, just advocate for community in general, especially in vulnerability. Like I think a lot of times, when we're working on things, whether it be preventative or you're actually going through something, yeah. you, everyone's always going through something, but you know what I mean? <laughs> um, a lot of times being vulnerable is really hard. Like I grew up in a family where you didn't get super vulnerable. We weren't peeling back layers in our household all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I've always tried to keep that kind of stuff surface. But now my whole business and my whole mission is to help women come together in space and community and be vulnerable together because a, you get a whole new perspective from hearing from someone else. And then also it's a space to speak too. a lot of people don't have that or don't have, they've never experienced that before and how freeing it really can be. So I yeah. really loved that. And I was just curious about why you started the courageous conversations, because kind of like you said in the beginning, you were like, that's more of a preventative than anything. Um, and I thought that was really cool because, you know, some people may not be able to afford monthly week or weekly counseling yet or whatever, wherever they're at in their marriage. So that's a really cool thing to offer for people. It's like, Hey, you're going to, by the way, I ended up crashing after that. I was so emotionally drained. I went home. It was just like, I think I was in bed at seven 30. I've never slept so long in my life. You're welcome. I know. I was like, well, that was like work and rest like all scrunched up into like 24 hours it was awesome <laughs> oh my gosh yeah but. yeah I know so it's yeah courageous conversations is a six-hour workshop so it is a half a day yeah and I've, I've tried to do the workshop in two-hour chunks at a time over yeah. the course of six weeks but for me it feels like doing it all at one time it lets the skills build on each other and helps couples get it just in one short amount of time. Yeah. But I guess the, the consequence of that <laughs> is you may need some time afterwards. Yeah. But, you definitely need to like make sure you have a sitter for your kid the whole rest of the day too. Right. Um, but yeah, I kind of like you said, counseling can feel like a big investment and it can feel more intimidating than coming to a workshop and coming to a workshop can be intimidating enough as it is sure. um, but it's a good way i think to introduce people to the work that i do and to say hey here's what this is about no. it's not scary yes it's work but it's not scary it's not as you know threatening as you may have thought and i just like i like giving people massive takeaways all in one setting because the work of therapy is slower over time. So. Yeah. And when you say like it can feel it's, it was, we saw in a lot of the couples, it was a hard for a lot of the couples to get there. And you even like towards the end of it, we were 
everyone had opened up that last 30 minutes. I'll, I'll probably never forget because I was just seeing how even six hours of intentionality, how quick, I mean, it, it is long work. You're right. And like, you have to go implement these things after, or you can get right back to where you were really easily too. But I just saw you got emotional when people were sharing men are opening up in this room and it just shows like at the core of all marriages, we really do want success and we want health, but also like selfishness and time and kids and all these things get in the way of making that priority. Um, and so I just loved like that vulnerable, vulnerable moment from the teacher's perspective where you were like, I can't handle this sometimes because it's really cool how I'm seeing God work so fast right now in you guys. And I just really enjoyed that moment from you because I was just like, man, like I get that a lot of times in my business, but like for you to be like, this is like, I felt like Jesus was telling you like, well done, good and faithful servant. This was a good day of work for you. And I was just like, oh man, so good. But before well, we get all teary eyed. It's going to make me cry again. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it is, it just, it's so meaningful. Mm-hmm the difference that it can make in such a short amount of time. And then I just think, you know, I often think about seeing the transformation in my parents' marriage and what a gift that was to me and my sisters. And so I think about couples and just the difference it's going to make in their lives and in their communities, like in the friendships that you were talking about, but also in their families. Like it, it's leaving a legacy whether couples are realizing it that day or not yeah, um, yeah. and can really shift things for relationships and families. So it's, it's always meaningful and I try not to cry, but I do sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. So you, I know you're really big about talking about intimacy in general, and I love talking about that, especially with the Chasing Freedom girls, but how do you describe intimacy? Because I think when a lot of people first hear that word, they're just automatically, they just think about sex, especially when we're talking about marriage. So how can you describe intimacy to the listeners? Yeah, I would say that intimacy is really at the core of this mutual exchange of being fully known and fully loved. Mm, that's really so good. Whatever capacity that comes in, it is sexual intimacy, but it's also emotional intimacy mm-hmm. um, because we can't be fully loved if we're not fully known. Mm-hmm. So just like that vulnerability that you were talking about that you try to cultivate in your community, um, that gives people an opportunity to be known and to risk being known in ways that are uncomfortable, but often have great reward when you're willing to go there. Yeah. Because in, in marriage, it gives your spouse an opportunity to fully love you and have compassion and show you unconditional love, which is such a gift mm-hmm. um, that we don't otherwise get. And with marriage being just a relationship where you're never going to have a more intimate one. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just why I love working with marriages and working with a large relationship. Yeah. Also, you know, I think a lot of times you think marriage automatically brings intimacy, but that's not necessarily true. Oh, that's really good too. <laughs> you can have an intimate relationship and not be married and you can have a marriage and zero intimacy. Yeah. So part of that is the intentional work of deepening 
intimacy. Yeah. What a, actually talking about like being able to be fully known so that you can be fully loved. I know a lot of dynamics of marriages, like the men come off as more of like hard as nails, tougher types. This is kind of like stereotypical, but there, I mean, there's obviously switch roles. And I know for our personal intimacy, a lot of our roles are reversed. So I always like feel like I'm on an island until you meet someone and you're just like, oh my gosh, like you understand this because it's not always like this. But I know there are ways that my husband doesn't get super vulnerable very easily. And that is one of the ways that the um, courageous conversations really helped me because it was learning how to structure the conversation so that he has space to be vulnerable. Cause I kind of learned that I spoke over him or there were times I'm speaking for him or I'm wanting something more than he is like from him more than he is ready to actually give that to me or whatever. And just curious for a relationship where one person has no trouble being an open book, super vulnerable and their spouse or their significant other seems to be more of that closed in type, maybe because they're past or whatever. How would like is what is one piece of advice you could give to that kind of couple right now where they're feeling like, I don't know how to get my spouse to open up or I don't know how to open up. Yeah. Good question. I know we were talking about like, and I learned this, it's a process. It's not like, here's what works right now. But mm -hmm. I just love how that day you allowed us space to do it. And I think that was a biggie. But. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that would be the piece that I would say. It's so hard to, to see your own dynamic when you're in it, to kind mm -hmm. of step back and look at how you're relating to your spouse. But I do think, especially if you're the one who's like, I want my spouse to open up. I feel like I'm an open book and I'm pouring everything out. Yeah. To realize that perhaps you're not creating space for your spouse to express their feelings or their thoughts or, you know, so I would say just being cognizant of creating space for your spouse. And that can look like, asking intentional questions, asking maybe specific questions where you're saying, Hey, what was good today? Mm. Or what was hard today? You just really simple little things that are pointed where your spouse can think about it and answer it. And it's not like they're having to talk all about their feelings, but you're getting to know them and, and what did create emotions for them throughout the day, even if they're not saying it. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that makes total sense. I think a lot of times I would ask my husband, husband, how's your day? And it wasn't a very direct question. So mm -hmm. it, I would always get this short response. Therefore, I never felt like I knew anything about his work life. Then we right. started this thing. This was before even the courageous conversations where when we laid down at night, we would say, what was your biggest win today? What was your biggest struggle? And then what did you learn today? And yeah. those three questions have helped us. Like I learned so much about him, mm -hmm. so much about him and like what was actually going on in his life, especially when we got to, what did you learn today? Cause I sensed there was frustration that there wasn't space where he felt like he was learning. And I had no clue that he didn't have that space right now. Yeah. yeah that's so good. And I think too, you know, women are way more conditioned to be in touch with their feelings and to share their feelings than men are in general, yeah. especially in culture. And so I think a lot of times when couples come to marriage, that's the first time that men have ever had a space where 
someone really wants them to open up and really wants them to know what they're thinking and feeling. So I think the questions that you and Derek came to are perfect. Um, and the more that he has the, the experience of, okay, Tanner's asking me these questions and I'm feeling safe to share, the more it's gonna reinforce that feeling of, oh, this intimacy that we're creating feels good and I wanna continue it. Oh yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, what would you say to the couple right now who's just not getting along? They're just fighting, they're not seeing eye to eye in life right now at all, they're struggling, where, where should they start? Yeah. Yeah, that's my first thought as a therapist is to say, well, tell me more about their situation. <laughs> like, give me more of the specifics so that I can give a really, you know, thorough answer. But I would say if there's an ongoing pattern or perpetual problem that they can't seem to resolve. And like you said, if they're not seeing eye to eye, there are some things that you can do at home. I mean, there are blogs, there are podcasts, there are YouTube videos that can help you work on the communication pieces and the conflict pieces and how to do that more healthily. Mm -hmm. But I, I would say, I mean, I'm biased given what I do, but I would say just call a marriage counselor. Yeah. Like just schedule one or two sessions to help you guys kind of step outside, see your overall dynamic, gain some perspective because a lot of times, um, you know, so John Gottman, he's a marriage researcher and he says that on average couples wait six years too long to come to counseling. Wow. And so like, if you think about, okay, I'm going to apply this to health for a minute. Is that okay? okay? Great. Yeah. I love this. So if you start having chest pains and you don't go to the doctor and you think, oh, you know, it's just anxiety. I'm just going to push through it and, you know, keep trucking or I'm just going to ignore it. Yeah. Um, the risk is if you misdiagnose yourself, then you could have a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And so most people, when they feel the chest pains, they go to the doctor but when people have relationship pains, they have marital pains, they're like, oh, we can just force through this or it'll be okay. We, you know, we'll be this okay. This is normal. Yeah. Exactly. And so they usually don't come in until after they've had the marital heart attack, if you will. And yeah. so at that point, they're in crisis and there's a lot of recovery time and repair time before we can start to rebuild. And so when you ask about a couple who's fighting a lot and not seeing eye to eye and they're just not getting it, why not just go in and get a quick tune up rather than after a lot of damage has been done? Yep. Yeah. No, I even think about that with what I do with my health clients and how when I work with my clients, I'm like, we have to undo so much because for years, and that was my story. But I saw like beginning in college, body image was really becoming a thing. Four yeah. years later, I'm like, I seriously don't know how to live life anymore. Like I felt so trapped in my body and my whole identity became that. And therefore I was making all these wrong and sinful decisions in my life because that was my main focus. And I felt so lost. And it's the same, it's the same thing when yeah. you start to feel like 
this is toxic and this, cause that's the thing like, yeah, yeah. Marriage may not be easy, but that doesn't mean it can't always be fruitful. Like you're going to go through hard times. That's just inevitable in relationships because you're two different people. But at the same time, it can be fruitful. And even in the hardest of seasons, you guys can find joy. Like, and I, yeah, that's such a good point that you make. Like, why not? Why wouldn't you do this? Right, right. You know, and I think like you're talking about with your story and I'm thinking about, you know, seasons in my life. It's the shame. It's it is just the shame. shame from sin or whatever that keeps us stuck and keeps us from wanting to go. But again, if you, if you have space where you feel like you can be vulnerable, you can call a marriage counselor, you can talk to a friend who can encourage you. Um, I just, yeah, I don't think that we have to get stuck in shame in the sooner that we can get over that. And I think our generation is honestly getting better at that than the ones I do before. Too. Um, I do too. Yeah, the sooner the better. Yeah. You talk about, this kind of moves into the whole self-care. I know you really like to talk about why self-care is crucial to loving others. And I want to hear this from your perspective because self-care are two words that kind of are thrown around right now all over the place. So I really want to get your perspective on what does it mean when you say it's important and crucial to love others well? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, like you said, self-care is getting thrown about all over the place. And so to define it the way that I see it, um, self-care is just making sure that you're your best for others. So I think a lot of times, especially in, um, especially in Christian culture, we're conditioned to just give and give and help and, and love. And we only think about, okay, if we're loving others, then we're, then we're loving God and we're doing right by him, that sort of thing. But I think a lot of times what gets missed in the love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself Mm. is the self part. And so you, you can't, you can't genuinely love others at your best if you're not your best. Mm -hmm. Like at some point you're going to give on an empty tank and that's not going to be good for you or the people that you're trying to help. Um, And so, so, you know, self-care doesn't have to be this selfish narcissistic thing. You know, I think sometimes that gets lost in there too, but. But also don't feel bad if you want to go get a pedicure. <laughs> right, right. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, self-care is whatever you need emotionally or physically or yeah. spiritually. Um, yeah. Making sure you're getting what you what you need. And it's not just a self-reliant thing. Yeah. It's, self-care is also putting yourself in good community. Yeah. Um, and letting other people care for you. But That's so true. The self-awareness too is a huge part of self-care. Yeah. Right. Right. You're the one who has to start that and initiate it and make sure that you're getting what you need so that you can be your best for others. Yeah, I know I do. And my world of fitness and health, a lot of women will say like, I feel really guilty going to the gym. Every time I'm there, I feel really just guilty that I should be doing all of these other things. And my response is, but when you are constantly filling up your schedule with all of these other things for people after so long, after a week of that, how, how are you actually living? Like, how are you feeling? What is your mindset? Like, what's your energy? Like, like all of these things. And it's, it kind of clicked for me when 
honestly, I was reading passages, just like you said, where when you really dig deep into scripture and you understand the character of God, you, and even like the story of Jesus in itself is how often he went off by himself to literally make sure he was filled up too. And yeah. it, it was preventative. It was in preparation for a lot of times people think, well, I'll rest when I'm exhausted. Well, you also need to rest in order to run well <laughs> before someone has, is about to run a marathon. They're not running all the way up to the day before these long miles. They start to taper off. They start to rest up for it. And I, that perspective really changed for me because I'm a like, I can do it. Go get her. Like I can do all the things. And what I realize is I actually can't do all of the things. In fact, in order to do what I am called to do well, I need to make sure I'm prepared well, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. And you said it really good. And when you, we got to this point, um, where we were kind of working down this triangle or this, um, talking oh, yeah. about different levels, right? expressing our desires is something that we never, a level we don't get to often. I know for myself, even like I never was saying, Derek, I really desire this or I really need this. It always, those words always felt so icky to me because who am I to sit here and tell him what I need when I'm supposed to be this helper of his, you know? And like that just really opened my eyes. Cause it's like, but I can't be a helper if he doesn't know what I need, you know? Yeah. Right. It was just like light bulb, light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. I love it. Everything you said is so, so good. So from a good leader, from a, someone who does have a healthy marriage and you're constantly putting your own work into, into your marriage too, what does it look like for you just practically to take care of yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. You know, I think, well, especially um, in, in college and grad school with what I went into there's a huge push for self-care because you don't make it in my profession. If you're not taking good care of yourself, mm. you end up with compassion fatigue or you burn out and you switch careers. I mean, that I see that happen. And so I think while a lot of the world operates with, you know, go, 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 exhaust yourself and then take a three month sabbatical when your body has shut down on you, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, the way that I was trained and kind of the way I orient my life is kind of different in that most of the way I live is centering around my self care. Um, and so that, I mean, for me, that looks like starting with the evening, like getting good sleep, yeah. Get seven to eight hours every night. <laughs> Don't like to function without that. Wake up and have my quiet time. Um, reading scripture, journaling, um, doing yoga. When I get home from work, I um, and usually if the weather is nice, I'm going on walks with Evan, just yeah. walking and talking and processing. And in terms of my work, I limit the number of clients that I see in a week. That's because great. I've experimented with different things and know when I'm at my best and how many clients that is per week for me. Because like you said, I'm like, I'm limited. Mm -hmm. You know, I can only give so much. Jesus only invested into 12 disciples. Like he could have invested in a lot more, but he chose to limit himself for whatever reason. And so why should I think that I can do more, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? 
Um, yeah, that, that makes me think too, especially for our career. Like if you take more clients, you bring in more money for your household too. And I lo- that just shows the heart posture of your work. Like it's true servanthood when you're able to say no, mm-hmm. you, you know, which I know is hard to do. You were just saying that we were talking about that before how now you even do have a wait list and that's really hard because people are saying that they need you and you still have to say no. So that just shows the true heart posture. I think again, as women, you could feel either feel really selfish doing that, or you can say, I'm actually taking better care of people this way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, going back to the community piece, that's, that's one area that I try to be really intentional about. I'm introverted. And so I have my few people and so it's making sure that I'm connecting with them on a regular basis. And sometimes when I feel myself um, just having, you know, negative self-talk or getting caught up in my own little experience, I'm like, oh, that's because I haven't seen my people in a while. Like, <laughs> that's because I haven't gotten outside of myself in a while. So that's yeah. a part of it. That's cool. That's great. So Kenzie, one of the questions I love to ask everyone that comes on the podcast is where right now are you chasing freedom? Yeah. Good question. Um, when I, okay. When I was a teenager, I really wanted to be obedient to the Lord, but really struggled with both like people pleasing and perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And so I had these rings and like one of them said, fear not. And the other said, trust in me, just trying to get over those things in order to, to live the abundant life that God has for us. And so I feel like my twenties exhibited a lot of that wrestle um, between like self-reliance and relying on God and not fearing and not getting paralyzed by my own perfectionist tendencies. Yeah. So I think now where I'm really chasing freedom is to, again, find even more freedom in that, um, really in my identity in the Lord and really striving to, to seek his voice and value his voice and have this underlying sense of peace and presence Mm. rather than listening to my own voice which can be critical at times, just given my personality. So, yeah. That is so good. I think we all could use a little piece of that, honestly, because I was talking about it yesterday with a bunch of the girls in a membership program that I have about when you hear the initial lie, the first, the first voice in your head where maybe it's when you're getting dressed in the morning or when you're headed into work and you have more to do than you actually thought you did. And it starts to like, oh my gosh, how did I get here? Why did I not do this last night? And all of that, like, what do you do? What do you actually do in that moment? A lot of people are like, I throw on worship music or I get into the word. And then I I got on a live video and I was like, that's all really good. And that's great if you're actually doing that every single time, but let's get practical here. Like what is something that we could really do right at that moment? Basically I was saying like, instead of feeling like you have to completely replace it. Sometimes it's good to find a neutral first because it almost feels inauthentic. If you're like, just slap a scripture over a lie that you're like, I don't even know if I believe yet. Right. Yeah. So I'm always like, yeah, yeah. I'm always like, just ask yourself where that came from. Like if it was you 
you caught a glimpse of yourself in the mirror when you were getting dressed and it immediately started all of these thoughts, like just stop yourself and say, why was I not okay with what I just saw? Mm-hmm. What was it? Was it this expectation that I should be smaller? Is it an expectation that my husband probably doesn't like that? Like what is actually going on? Why, why did you just think that? Because I think sometimes when you can just pause, I always say like change happens in the pause. When you can actually take a second to just pause and say, why? Like, mm-hmm. why did you think that? I think it's cool where how quick our, we can allow ourselves to just pivot and I'm all about pivoting too, because I'm, I'm with you. Sometimes you just, I just need a neutral. Sometimes I just need a, I am improving rather than I have overcome, mm. you know, cause that helps me understand like everything that the work that God's doing in me and, and through my struggles, it really is a process. And as long as I can embrace the process, I can experience like the authenticity of God, because I think a lot of times we have this perception of God, like he is like almighty and sovereign, which he is. But at the same time, he's super compassionate and he understands even where that thought came from because he knows your life experiences. And yeah, that really helps me like communicate that with them. Well, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, we are like, for those of us who are believers, we are saved and we're also still human. Like we're also still in our process and our, sanctification process and so I love those practical tips that you gave yeah um just with you know I heard a life coach say one time you know if you look at your body for example like you're talking about and have a negative thought rather than saying I have the best body ever just say I have a body (laughs) and be grateful for it so like that neutral bridge thought like you were talking about yeah yeah that's great um Kenzie, I want to make sure you tell them about your podcast because that is an incredible resource for people to use weekly, but also just how can they follow along with you? And then even the locals that are listening right now, how can they possibly get in touch with you? Yeah, well, thank you. Um, So I host a weekly podcast called the Brave Marriage Podcast. It's usually a 10 to 15 minute teaching, just something practical to take away. It's faith-based. Um, but also gives a lot of therapy tips and there's always an action step and a prayer for your marriage at the end. So again, that's called the brave marriage podcast and you can listen on Apple podcast, Spotify, wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. You can also, um, they can follow me at bravemarriage.com and I have a free quiz there. So if they go to bravemarriage.com slash quiz, it can shed some light on where they are in their relationships. And then they'll receive an email series from me with some action steps based on how they scored. And again, a prayer for their marriage. So those are the two main places, anything at bravemarriage.com in terms of working with me, they can contact me from there. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, in terms of supporting me and I think about, you know, supporting the work, which I feel like you're doing right now, Tanner, um, conversation and also in the work that you're doing to help women find freedom, which is ultimately going to lead to healthy relationships in their own lives. And so, um, yeah, I just think about us all working together to support the work of healthy relationships and living into freedom into that abundant life that God has for us. So thanks for your work as well. Absolutely. I know it really does go hand in hand so well. 
Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Kenzie, and just sharing your wisdom and your experience. And I know that, um, couples listening or even people that are excited to get married one day already can implement so much of what you're talking about into their current life. And again, preventative, we're talking about like healthy relationships in general. So you're the best. Thank you so much. And I so appreciate it. Of course, guys, thank you so much for listening into today's episode. Check out the show notes for all things Kinsey, and we will see you in the next episode.